RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be construed with medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement, but as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Friday Night Livestream. Hope everyone out there is having a lovely day. As always, my name is Zach Payne. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Richard Fleming. Dr. Fleming is a trailblazing researcher in medicine, and he's written a book called Is COVID-19 a Bioweapon? It's a scientific and forensic investigation about the origins of something I agree is a bioweapon. So we're going to be having an excellent, engrossing conversation tonight about this and many other topics. Please do me a favor. Don't forget to like the broadcast as you're coming in. Share it out there on your favorite social media platform. We're live on Rumble, the Foxhole, Odyssey, Getter, and even Twitter. I can, and you can hear me, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, I can hear okay, you. Perfect. <laughs> oh, that's that's so weird. Where I'm on, a, I'm on a fiber optic hard line here with two gigabytes of, of up and download speed. So I don't know what the heck that was about, but either way. I'm glad that it didn't take too long to solve it. So thank you so much for being here with me tonight, sir. First of all, let me just say, uh, I love the jacket. It it looks like a a red velour or velvet smoking jacket. I have one very similar to it, but uh, but it's great. Great style. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I don't smoke, but thank you. I don't smoke. I, I vape, but um, but no, no, no yeah. cigarettes. I would I would hope that you wouldn't smoke, being that you're a doctor. <laughs> That's probably the uh, most obvious thing. But so let me say, Doctor Fleming, once again, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And uh, you are someone who came to prominence in the mid 1990s for research you were doing on inflammation r- related to heart disease. It sounds kind of elementary at this point because I think everybody takes it for granted. I mean, that's just kind of the common knowledge. But this is something that you had to fight to get people to accept. Isn't it true? Yeah. So in 1976, I joined American Heart as the youngest faculty member that had been recruited. And I got placed on three different committees at the time, one for basic life support, one for advanced life support in a brand new area. That was called the Physician Cluster Education Faculty. So I began talking to physicians, but also to the general public about what causes heart disease and what can you do to, you know, try to avoid it or reduce your risk. Um, I spent, have spent several decades, but uh, between what, 76 and 94, almost two decades in, 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 in talking about the risk factors, but looking at what was going on around the world, looking at my data, looking at other people's data, looking in the U.S., looking outside the U.S., looking in medicine, outside of medicine. And essentially then what happened is 
you know, I said, look, um, none of us are getting this completely untapped. So, you know, it could be that we're all nuts. Um, it could be that we're just getting bits and pieces of it. And I sat down and, and took about six months of my life and wrote out this theory that I, I did first originally because of the way my brain works, uh, my mechanisms on a blackboard, you know, putting everything together. And, and then uh, in 1994 at American Heart, I presented this and I said, look, cholesterol does play a role, but to different effects in people. Fats do play a role, but to different effects in different people. Homocysteine, fibrinogen, like protein little A, vascular damage, you name it. But probably the, the, the most unique thing that I added that I think was really unexpected, several, but at least for the purpose of this conversation, were infections, viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Um, and I laid that all out. It's on Fleming Method. You can actually go see how it all fits in. I think the diagram that came out of the textbook, which was a two-page opener, which is a, a, a simplified version. The, the artist who rendered it eliminated a lot of things I had in there, made it easier for people to see. So you can take a look at it and see how easy, you know, my students don't seem to think it's so easy. But <laughs> as I tell them, you know, if you think that's hard to memorize, you should have been the guy trying to put it together, I suppose. Um, and I mean, it didn't seem at the time that daunting, but so I did that in 94, 95, published in a cardiology textbook in 99, did the bacterial studies from 2000 to 2003, and then was on 2020 and 2004, and basically said, look, various factors, a dozen of them, and I can tell you that's only about two thirds of the ones we've looked at, play different roles, but you have to look at every one of these things as a contributing factor. And I kind of tell people to think about it like a spider's web. You know, all the web components make up the web, but they're not all equal length. And, and you and, and tugging on one will have an impact on the others. And as a result, everything that's involved is too much of something in the body that the body is trying to get rid of and address. Mm -hmm. So it's inflammation. And it's also blood clotting because anything that happens, your body tries to get rid of it by killing the area, which is the inflammation, and then walling it off from the rest of the body, which A, keeps it from spreading, and B, keeps nutrients from getting in. So that inflammatory thrombotic response is critical, and it's really, it defined we began with heart disease, but it turns out, as I, I, I later explained, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, every disease that we think of as chronic diseases are the continued buildup of this inflammation and blood clotting. And so, you know, I was a medical student when HIV hit the scene. And you know, a good friend of mine, Luke Montagnier, uh, who became a colleague and close friend during the last several years before he passed, we used to try to tell people, look, the virus is a, a, a precipitating factor. It, it's probably going to be present, but it doesn't mean you're going to have this bad outcome, but it certainly promotes it. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to look at these other factors. And the same thing with other things for the other diseases. And, and the same thing is true for what we're talking about today, which is severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2 or SARS-CoV-2, which isn't a single virus, by the way. It's three viruses that they made. Um, 
when it gets out of control, produces an inflammatory thrombotic disease known as coronavirus disease, first detected in 2019 or COVID-19. So, you know, one is something that causes a problem and the other one is the problem that can kill you if it's not addressed. It's pretty interesting. I was going to ask, you know, how the original research connected to what you were seeing with coronavirus. But hit hit on that one point that you just made there about three separate viruses. Uh, I mean, are you talking about the, the various um, the evolutions of the virus, like when they're talking about Delta and Omicron and Alpha? Or are you no. actually talking about something different? Yeah, no, there's something completely different. If you and, and we lay this we lay part of this out in the book. Um, as, as we're trying to explain to people, but if you take, so let's start with the concept of PCR testing. PCR testing looks for a certain sequence of genetic code. And so if you know what you're looking for has that genetic code and you test for it, then you can say, okay, well, it's there, right? We, we found it. We found the bits and pieces of it. And PCR testing are just short segments because it makes it easier and faster for you to run these tests. Um, and so it turns out that if you take PCR tests and you look at about eight to 10 different places on what's called SARS-CoV-2 or Wuhan H-U-1, it matches three other viruses that were built by gain of function, SARS-CoV or Bonnie which is later became known as RSSHC014. And then SARS-CoV MA15 and SARS-CoV RS3367. And all three of those viruses have the exact PCR fingerprint that SARS-CoV Wuhan HU1 has, which, you know, to a scientist means they're the same thing. Um, three different viruses, all biologic viral weapons that were, were built with U.S. taxpayer dollars, um, including taxpayer dollars that, you know, came from the Department of Defense, Health and Human Services, the National Science Foundation, uh, USAIG, or the Agri uh, Agency for International Development, Department of Homeland Security, of Commerce, of the Interior, and then Agriculture. All of those agencies funded this research. And we lay it out in the book so you can see, okay, here's where the money came from, <laughs> you. Um, here's where it went to. It went to Peter Dazak at EcoHealth. It went to Ralph Farrick at the University of North Carolina. Went to Xi Zhang Lee uh, at, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Went to other places. I mean, it went to Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, University of Texas, Galveston. I mean, Lots of places. Fort Detrick got part of the money. Um, and as I've told people in 2021, Fort Detrick tried to recruit me as a physicist to come help with infectious disease funded by NIAID. So, I mean, I'm not sure that that was the brightest set of emails to send out, but, you know, um, they probably thought I was dead and buried with, with everything that they'd gone to try to beat me up in the past with anyway. But nonetheless, they sent that to me, and I want to thank them for it. Um, <laughs> you know, if you look at, at, at the money, even during the uh, – even in November of 
2019, on November 12th of 2019, the U.S. Department of Defense gave more than $400,000 to the Labyrinth Corporation to actually uh, write a report on Mm COVID-19. Seven weeks before the world heard about it, the U.S. Department of Department of Defense wanted gave them money to write a report on a disease that hadn't even been discovered. Isn't that fascinating? Right? Let me let me ask you this, Doctor. <clears throat> what what does that mean to you, as someone uh, you know with a discerning mind of the scientific community? What does that signal to you when the research and funding for this disease virus that hasn't even been identified yet is already being doled out in some place, especially like Ukraine? Well, I think one of the interesting things is to recognize that the first reports of of SARS-CoV-2 or COVID, if you want to call it that, um, was actually in August and September in Italy, in Milan, Mm -hmm. Italy, where tissue samples were showing the virus in patients. And so that's August, September. And then you you watch what happened in Wuhan uh, near the military games when, um, bear in mind, this facility in Wuhan that the French helped build was brand new in 2018. It was state of the art in 2018. And then they said, thanks, go back to France. (laughs) We don't need you here anymore. Uh, We've got it or something akin to that, I'm sure. And uh, by the fall of 2019, their computer systems reportedly were being hacked, um, although we've got part of that data. they wanted new air incinerator and air filtration and incinerator systems that indicated that there was a massive problem, that they were concerned about volumes of material that needed to be destroyed and concerns about potentially things getting out. So you see this, this transition from August through November and you see money from DOD going out for a report on a disease that the world doesn't even know about yet. And then seven weeks later, we all begin to hear about Wuhan. So clearly, something happened before, and they knew what to call it, or at least what they were going to call it. And they wanted a report on it from the Ukraine, by the way. Um, I mean, I don't make it perfectly clear i don't want people to get distracted by what i call a squirrel phenomena you know the dog gets distracted by that squirrel and that squirrel and that squirrel they don't focus and i see this a lot because you know with all the all the things that are happening you know you you can get this sensory overload and i uh, for example pilots in jets actually do not get as much data as they used to. It's been focused down because pilots were getting so much sensory overload that they couldn't they couldn't process it all. And so they changed the equipment with a heads up device, HUD, a good friend of mine actually developed that um, for the Hughes Corporation. They changed it to reduce the input so it wouldn't overload the pilot. Now if if you can imagine a jet pilot can get overloaded. Astronauts can get overloaded. Everybody can get overloaded. And the general public right now, the process is overload 
So you get distracted and you can't stay focused and you yeah. can't accomplish a task, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, so do not, I, I, please do not get distracted with China or the Ukraine or any of the other nonsense going on when, when, you know, the powers that be tell you that they're concerned about you and then they overload you. You should be asking, what is it they don't want me to look at? You know, the guy behind the screen, Wizard of Oz, right? Absolutely. Um, Stay focused, stay on task, because they don't want you on task. And that usually is your best indicator. You know, if they come after you like they do me, (laughs) I have so many fans on Twitter. It's great. (laughs) Um, The, you know... Um, and, and they come after Andrew Huff and they come after Dr. Kevin McCarron and Charles Rixey, you know, who were all in this along with Dr. John and Diner. And they come after us with a vengeance because they want to distract us and they want to distract you from listening to us. Um, stay focused. The task here is, is not the vaccines. It's not the medications. It's not the masking. It's not the quarantining. Those are symptoms. Those are symptoms. The disease is the gain of function research and the CRISPR technology that's connected with it. That's the disease. You can treat the symptoms as much as you want. And uh, I would argue that people think, wow, we're getting better, right? We're not wearing masks right now. We don't have to worry about social distancing. Um, there's not talk about the medicines anymore. The vaccines are quietly going in like good night. No, they're not. Since late October, early November, they've rolled out five new genetic vaccines and nobody has blinked an eye. One for cancer. You should be thinking, I am legend right now. One for cancer. One for cystic fibrosis. One for amyloidosis. This spike protein causes prion diseases or amyloidosis. Mm Mm-hmm. And they've got a vaccine to treat amyloidosis. I think that's marvelously fascinating. And one for influenza and respiratory syncytial virus. They've got 15 or so in the wings. And according to WHO and the IHR, they have about 200 they would like to vaccinate everybody with. So one of the reality points here <clears throat> is that the symptoms of the COVID vaccines we're, we're, we're taking care of that. We're putting bandages on it so it doesn't look so ugly. But the symptoms are coming back. In fact, the, the respiratory syncytial virus genetic vaccine, I just saw something the other day that there was an EU, that there was an FDA document warning because there was, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, neurologic disease happening in the children getting it. Yeah. And they just rolled it out. Right. Yeah, totally normal. But nobody, no big deal. nobody asked, do we have data on this? 39 months ago, the question was, do we have animal model data on this? Are we, are we going to do research Are we before we vaccinate people? Yes, see what happened? In 39 months, nobody's raising an eyebrow to the symptom of gain-of-function combined with CRISPR technology being injected into you, which will change your, your, your DNA. That's its function. So the gain of function 
is the disease. You want to kill it off, you have to address the disease. How do we do that? We make the criminals that are responsible for the gain of function and, and CRISPR technology, and they're the same group of people, we hold them criminally accountable. Because if we don't treat the disease, it will get worse and it will kill the body, the mind, and the soul of what it's in. And that's the people, the country, the planet. Absolutely. So, you know, we do have to we do have to take action on this and we do have to hold them criminally accountable. And, you know, we'll, as we get to that, I'm going to explain to your viewers about 10letters.org, but I want to do it, you know, systematically here. What makes sense for you? Well, well, Dr. Fleming, so so who exactly is to blame? Uh, you know, I think it's rather interesting that uh, after so many months, you know, nearly two years, maybe a little bit longer, the United States government and the entire global scientific community has thrown shade on the idea that this could have come from a lab. Now, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, it definitely came from a lab and it was definitely the lab in Wuhan. It, what about this about face? What does this tell us? What exactly are they trying to cover up and whose involvement are they trying to make sure that we're not looking at? Well, what they want you to do is to quit looking at uh, Cullen and Gates and Fauci and the DOD and Health and Human Services and the FDA and all the people that have paid money and Dazak and Xi Zhengli. They don't want you to look there. They probably don't care if you look at Xi Zhengli. Go look at the Chinese, right? Mm -hmm. Here's my word of caution. We need to separate government from people. This was funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars. We didn't know we were doing this, but our government, people in our government were running this. Does that make the American people bad? No. no. Does it make the American people bad for getting vaccinated and doing jumping through every other hoop that was put in front of them? No. Why? Because most people did it for the right reason. They didn't want to hurt somebody else. They didn't understand that vaccines don't prevent you from getting infected or transmitting. It, that's never that no scientist physician who's ever known what they were talking about has ever told you that. That's not what they do. Vaccines are designed for you to get exposed to something, so you start your immune system, so you build memory cells, not antibodies and T cell and all the things that cause symptoms. That's made, but the goal is to get memory cells. So you, your body has a memory of the infection. So when you get infected, those memory cells get activated and it shortens your response time. But notice for it to work, you must get infected. And if you're infected, I don't care who you are on this planet, for the first three to four days of infection, you are an asymptomatic carrier and spreader. You get symptoms when the chemicals from the T cells start getting released that cause the inflammation. That's where you get the headache and the nasal runny nose and the aches and pains and the cough and the chills and diarrhea and, and cough because those chemicals are being released. And you're symptomatic. Your temperature goes up. And you know it. You go, oh, I'm, I'm sick, right? Yeah, you are. Congratulations. 
<laughs> you got elementary school down. Um, but it's but it's memory cells. So everybody was trying to not kill the person down the street or the relative. And you look, people were afraid. You could hear it. You could see it. There's nothing crueler, in my opinion, than a leader intentionally making their people afraid to manipulate them. That's what Gearing said at his trial in 1947. He said every country can manipulate its people if it tells them there's a problem, tells them what the answer is, and then tells them that anybody who doesn't do that is a traitor or whatever the current term is for it. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah. 1947, and the Americans said, no, not in a democracy. And Gehring called him on it. He said, look, first off, you're not a democracy. You're a republic. But independent (laughs) of that, independent of that, republic, democracy, parliament, socialist, fascist, communist, doesn't matter if a government tells its people that. I mean, why do you think the Israelis got so vaccinated? They've been at war for so long that they've accepted that their government has this this close knit with them that they've mm-hmm. got they think enemies all around. They've been at war for so long um, in such a confined space that their government has said, "Look, we take care of you. You take care of us." And the people accepted that, and they and they rolled up their sleeves. Well, here's the thing: people, Americans, and people around the world are going to be rolling up their sleeves for one of two reasons. They're either going to roll up their sleeves and go to 10letters.org and fill out the material and tell the attorney generals and governors of the state to indict these people, or they're going to roll up their sleeves to get vaccinated. The question isn't if you're going to roll up your sleeves. The question is, why are you going to be rolling up your sleeves? Is it to stop the criminals? Or is it to let them use you as as an experiment? Because what they're doing is they're rolling out these genetic vaccines and they're doing it from the perspective, tracking about 40 papers over several decades, combining the gain of function with the CRISPR. I will tell you that it traces right back to the roots of Lamarckianism, which is what Adolf Hitler was using. And the whole concept was you could change the people and they were doing the experiments to see what they could do to change the people. Well, guess what's happening right now in the United States? We are conducting experiments to see what it takes to change the people. So I don't think they're trying to depopulate the planet. You can you get a lab result. You get a result either by taking a long time to do it or having a lot of participants in a shorter period of time. And if what you're looking for is to increase the lifespan of the people who win the lottery in the end, you need a lot of volunteers. And what we've just seen in the last 39 months is we can get a lot of volunteers. Mm-hmm. So game on. This is, you know, 10letters.org. The number 10 followed by L-E-T-T-E-R-S.org is the website we put together so every American citizen can go on you go to the bottom, it says, build my letter. You click on that, it'll give you, ask for your name, your address, your state, zip code. You've got a box for you to check that says, I don't want that to show. You click on that, 
your name and address will not show, but it will generate a cover letter. Why do we need that information? Because we need to know which attorney general and governor to address the, the cover letter to, right? Right. 50 of them. If you're in Texas like I am, you wanted to go to Abbott, Governor, and, and uh, Paxton, Attorney General. But if you live in Florida, you wanted to go to DeSantis and, and Moody, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You don't want it coming to Paxton. Um, and then the second thing you do is you go, there's an indictment letter at the top where I've laid out on six pages the crimes these people have committed and the people, the names of the people, and the state crime. And then it's signed by myself. It's signed by Dr. Kevin McCarran, who's probably the world premier neurobiologist in prion disease uh, in Japan, originally from the UK. It's signed by Charles Rixey, a former U.S. military instructor for weapons of mass destruction. It's signed by Dr. Joanna Dinert out of Germany. And it's signed by Andrew Huff, who's the PhD who wrote the grants at EcoHealth, right? Mm-hmm. So in that document... Um, there are links, one to a deposition that I gave under oath here in Texas to an attorney who's argued before and won before the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, an affidavit that lays out in detail what's happened, and a link to the book so that every attorney general and every governor will get a document that says, here's the crimes at the federal level. At the state level, those crimes are murder, attempted murder, manslaughter, reckless manslaughter, assault, coercion, false imprisonment, battery, and perjury. Um, and and that it does the work for them. I have when when the so it goes to the AGs and the governors, and the goal is for them to know that the American people want these criminals to be held accountable. To do that. Prosecuting attorneys, the uh, district attorneys and attorney generals have what's called a grand jury. Now, a grand jury has been thrown around as a term so much that it's been watered down and people don't understand what it is. A grand jury is not me or anybody else talking to the general public. The general public is not a grand jury. General public can't bring charges on anybody. The system does that. Police officers arrest people. Where does it go? It goes to a district attorney or an attorney general who then takes the evidence, goes before a group of people that are called a grand jury, whose only job is to listen to prosecutors say, look, I've got this much evidence that these people did these crimes. Is this sufficient for me to charge these people with crimes? And if the grand jury says yes, that attorney general or district attorney gets what's called an indictment letter, a letter of indictment. It gets filed with a court. No judge can turn down an indictment letter. It's not an option. And there's six states that the people themselves can also do it, but that's Nevada, New Mexico, uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and I think it's South Dakota. And, and we're working with several of those as well as several of the AGs. And what we know is that there's two groups of AGs, surprise, surprise. There's that group that says, I want to indict these people, but I'm not going to give up my career to do it. So I need the people in my state 
to send enough of these 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 demand letters in that I can hold them up and say, I've got thousands of letters from voters in this state and they want this taken to a grand jury. We're going to a grand jury. <clears throat> and the cowards, we want to deliver a message to them so that they know they've been put on notice because even the cowards don't want to be left behind when this ship sails. They want to be right there because as this goes down, they want to be on the side, the winning side. They don't want to be on the losing side. They don't want to have to come back and go, yeah, I probably should have done something about that. <laughs> and I guess my career is over and uh, God knows what else will happen to me. So, look, <clears throat> the reality is they have a vested interest. Their vested interest is their future career. And they see the writing on the wall when the people deliver it. Because the way this country works, is the people put them in power and they determine what happens. And if you turn a blind eye, nothing's going to happen. The problem is nobody in this country is unaffected. COVID, the disease, has killed more than 1.1 million Americans. That's the equivalent of all the people that have died in the U.S. military since 1776. Mm. The VAERS reporting numbers, and just take them at face value, are over 1.5 million injured Americans. That's 100,000 more injured Americans than we've had injured military troops since 1776. There are an additional 500,000 dead Americans from inflammatory thrombotic and pyrogenic diseases caused by the viruses and the vaccines that aren't even in those numbers I already gave you. Mm -hmm. There's 34,000 Americans that are dead from the vaccine. No question accepted. That's more deaths than the U.S. military has lost in every war we have fought, except our five bloody years. And we lose more patients to COVID every week than we lost at Pearl Harbor or Twin Towers. Sadly, every American has been impacted. You either know somebody who died or somebody. You know, somebody who's been injured or somebody, <clears throat> and you have an obligation for your voice to use your voice, which 10 letters gives you the mechanism for doing it, to shout to these attorney generals and governors and say, I want the criminal who developed this disease, this gain-of-function and CRISPR technology, to be held criminally accountable because it's very clear that the rollout of the, the recent genetic vaccines are just the beginning. And you're not just doing it for you. And you're not just doing it for your family and friends. You are doing it for the other dead Americans who no longer have a voice because they're dead and their families need somebody to speak for them. You're doing it for the injured people that no longer have a voice because of the neurologic damage 
or the impairment, and you've seen them on social media, they can't do this for themselves. You're living in a country, I'm living in a country that we have a lot of good things and a lot of bad things we've done. But what we keep telling the world and what the world keeps hearing and what I keep hearing from the world is they expect the United States of America to stand up for what's right. They do know we don't always do it right away. But they do know that up until now, we have always done it. And they are dependent. The rest of the world is also depending upon us. So your voice is not just for this country. It's for every other country. It is for the generations to come. What you do is going to be an action that, that resonates throughout history. When, when Eisenhower left office, he delivered a very compelling speech about the military industrial complex. And my parents and my grandparents, whom I loved dearly, drop the ball and we are living with the consequence of that drop ball if we don't pick up that ball and address the problem the ramifications are much worse than anything i think most people could begin to fathom it's a slippery slope. It's Listen, Dr. Fleming, yeah. we've got to take a break for the second half of the show. So we're going to come back in about 30 seconds and uh, don't go anywhere. All right, guys, we are back. And I just need to say thank you to Low Country Brooklyn, who said, long live the alt news kings. Shout out to Zach for his recent acknowledgement from Rumble. He would not have made it this far without all of you. Big up, no, big bless you and uh, corruption detectors. Also, Lonely German said, what is the address for that letter again, please? And wouldn't you know it, I was just about to pass that website out. It is 10letters.org, the number 10letters.org. And I'm going to go ahead and drop it into the chat here. Now, Dr. Fleming, uh, you said that you were in contact with uh, some attorneys generals and uh, some people who might actually be able to address this stuff. Um, what do you have in terms of uh, successful movement on this? And how many people have you had uh, actually get involved and send these letters out? So we have roughly 6,800 letters that have gone out, 2,000 in the last week, just with us actually beginning to talk to people about this. And it's, it's, it's impressive to watch. And the four states that have the most are California. Hmm. Texas, Florida, Illinois. <clears throat> in fact, California in the last four days went from about being 50 behind to about being 40 ahead of Texas. So what is very, very clear is that everybody across the nation gets this. Everybody's had somebody affected. Everybody is bothered by this. I mean, we last year we went around the country on the Crimes Against Humanity Tour beginning to lecture on this, and we will be doing those presentations again to explain this to people, to get people actively involved, although I'd much rather be sitting in a courtroom giving evidence to send these people away to a place that they will never have to worry about harming people ever again. <clears throat> and then I can go scuba dive and be done with all this and go back to research and the rest of it, but enjoy myself for a change. Um, 
because the last 39 months has been just consistently back at every day, um, typically 12-hour day or more. Um, the, the, the reality is um, we need them to seriously stand up and pay attention to what the American people are demanding be done. We know that there are several attorney generals that are paying attention. We know there's a couple that are trying to pretend, oh, it's not our problem, it's the federal government. No, no, no. It's your problem. Your citizens in your state are dead. <clears throat> your citizens in your state are harmed. Your citizens in your state got locked down. They couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to whatever their place of worship is. They couldn't even... I lived in L.A. when this started. I, I moved to Dallas in about about two years ago. And I was in L.A. for seven and a half years. <clears throat> they were shutting off electricity and water to homes where people were having people over. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, there's a problem there. That's, that's not how you do it. And if you have such a great product, by the way, um, you don't have to bribe people with Krispy Kreme donuts and, and garbage and, and tickets. You know, I mean, that's embarrassing. I've got to tell you from, from as an American, when I have to listen to that from other countries, that is so embarrassing. Um, I have done research now. This is my 55th year. I've never had to bribe anybody to become part of a study or to, or to test something out. This is, look, here's the pluses and here's the minuses, right? And, you know, I mean, I've had people that have done been parts of research studies that, and I remember I was a cardiology fellow beginning the first ones that I did, and the other fellows had no idea why so many people were lining up to be part of my study. I said, well, I'm, I'm telling them the truth. What? Yeah, when the people asked me what's in it for them, I would frequently say probably nothing. But everything you're getting is a benefit of somebody before you who participated in research to see what would work, and you're getting the benefit of it. So, you know, maybe your children, grandchildren, friends, but if this is what the, the imaging isotopes, for example, become, and it turns out they were, well, now you have one of the first studies to compare and, and that other people don't have. So <clears throat> little did I know it was going to be that successful for that, but... Um, the uh, professorial moment there, I lost my train of thought, which I do about once a program. Um, yeah, yeah, the reality is we, we need to get these people held accountable. And we all know people that are dead or maimed. And they would prefer that we not do this. They would also prefer that we think, oh, the system, you know, is so corrupt, it won't work. Or, oh, you know. They're, they're too powerful that we, we can't take them on. You know what? Every, every person in history who did this to humanity thought they were too big and powerful. And the systems were all corrupt. And let's be frank, our system is corrupt. Mm-hmm. Or we wouldn't be here. <clears throat> okay? I mean, I'm having to deal with the legal system for the corruption that's brought into my life, but so are a lot of other people. I'm having to deal with a scientific system that's become corrupted with influence of big pharma and, and the scientific journals. I'm having to deal with a medical system that has been become corrupted and just hijacked. I mean, again, remember, I lived through HIV, AIDS, 
and we didn't get instructions from the federal government. And I'm trying to figure out what happened to to my medical colleagues, some of them. Uh, others, I'm trying to figure out what happened to them because of what they are doing, but at least they're doing something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of blame to go around, and there's a lot of bad things. But you, at the end of the day, you don't say, well, they're too big, they're too powerful, nothing will happen, because guess what? Then what you did is you wrote up your sleeve for the next shot right there. You know, or as Anthony Fauci does it, or or Biden, <laughs> you know, shot in one arm, pat the other one. It didn't hurt that much. Um, been a while since I thought about that little scenario, which I always thought was kind of funny. Which was, yeah, I bet it didn't hurt in that shoulder. That wasn't the one they ch- injected you with. Um, you know, but Alzheimer's might be kicking in. I don't know. Um, well, doctor, doctor, you know, there's also the question of. Are they actually receiving the same medications and treatments that they're giving the public at large? You know, I mean, I haven't I've been waiting since they started injecting people to see the same types of devastating side effects that we see in average Americans and people all over the world in the elites of uh, America, in in the uh, political oligarchs that are running Washington, D.C., haven't really seen that. You know, John Fetterman, he was somebody who uh, was, uh, uh, you know, very public about his, uh, his his multiple shots and even the booster and stuff. And obviously he, he's had a number of issues with strokes and, and, and aphasia and memory issues. But I haven't seen people like Anthony Fauci or any of these other high profile people uh, seeming to to have the same types of effects. Um, do you think it's possible that uh, maybe they're all too aware of how dangerous these medications are and they're not on the same program, so to speak? Well, let's look at Anthony Fauci as an example. He took a or not a set. He took Paxlovid. And one of the things that Luke Montagnier and I were talking about that we were trying to sort out before he passed was that, you know, and both he and I had noticed the same thing that the people who had HIV when they got put on protease inhibitors and then got, and got better and then they got taken off, they got really bad and they got bad with a vengeance. You know, you don't treat the disease, the symptoms come back even worse. Paxlovid does the same thing. And that, and we're beginning to see those rebound worsening phenomena, you know, where, well, I got better. I took Paxlovid. I got better and then I got bad. You know, and then I took back over it again, I get better, and then I get bad. Well, that's what happened with Anthony Fauci, right? So I would argue he's demonstrated it. And, you know, where I don't know who's getting exactly what, and I can't guarantee what they're doing, I, I would make a case point. And, and that is the president of the United States. This was a man that pre-election and pre-vaccination could actually put a sentence together. (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, I I do with that what you want to, but I've, I've marveled at the fact that this is not, I mean, this is pretty rapid change. And there's over 107,000 excess Alzheimer's death, which is a prion disease, mm-hmm. since this began. Yes, yes. Excess, not death, excess, <clears throat> right? Over and above what we would Way normally above. expect. Yeah. Way above. In two years, 
107,000 excess Alzheimer's deaths. It's a prion disease. Alzheimer's is a prion disease. This virus crosses the blood-brain barrier. The mm-hmm. vaccines cross the blood-brain barrier. Duh. I don't know. And one of the things that, you know, I'm getting so much flack on right now on social media is I'm beginning to show the slides of the research we did where we took individuals, took blood from them, and added the vaccines to them. <clears throat> and then what lets you watch and see how red blood turns gray ooh, because it can no longer, yeah, and begins to clot right away. Yeah, ooh, right, right? Not a good yeah. thing. No. Which it means it can't carry oxygen anymore. So why is that? Well, there's only three reasons. To begin with, red blood cells are red because they have a hemoglobin molecule that binds to oxygen. And when that happens, it turns red. So when you have your blood drawn, you see red blood, don't you? Even though it's coming out of a vein that wasn't fully saturated with oxygen, as soon as it hits the oxygen in the air, boom, it's saturated. Right. Cardiologists like myself, we see desaturated blood when we look at congenital heart disease and we compare the chambers and look for the damage. But the general public doesn't see that. So, okay, so it's no longer red, which means the oxygen and the hemoglobin aren't binding. So is it because there's no oxygen in the room? Well, I think there probably is because I'm standing in the room and I didn't die. So that's kind of an indication there might be oxygen in the room. Um, So it means something else has happened. Well, it could mean the red blood cell membrane change. Yeah, good. I mean, sickle cell anemia, the red blood cells change. It doesn't have as much oxygen, but it's, wait a minute, it's red. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. So maybe not the membrane. What's left? The hemoglobin molecule. It's a protein. Brian <clears throat> diseases. Take normal proteins and change the proteins permanently so they don't function. And it's pretty rapid. Huh. And it causes the clotting to occur on the microscope much faster. One of the cutesy little people made a quote today on Twitter. Well, if you let the blood dry, all, all blood does that. Uh, yeah, sweetheart, that's, that's, that's right. However, I didn't let the blood dry, and it happened immediately. So yeah. thanks for playing Google Scientist. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the reality is, the blood clots and, and what you're seeing pulled out of the body are because the clotting proteins are being abnormally folded by the prions from the vaccine. Well, why is that? Why would that happen? Well, you always make blood clots and you always break down blood clots. But it's like a lock and a key. Imagine that the lock is what's making the blood clot and the key and the, and the key is what's unmaking the blood clot so the blood flows. Well, if you change the lock, key doesn't work. The protein, the key won't fit in, so it yep. can't dissolve it anymore, and you end up with a big blood clot. Yeah, that makes okay. so much um, sense. I mean, yeah. That the, the sad part about science is that it actually makes sense. You know, I try to explain, independent whether it's physics I'm teaching or medicine or something else, that you don't really have to memorize a lot. You just have to understand. And once you understand 
all the answers are there because it makes sense. And you go, oh, yeah, you know. Um, it's kind of like blood pressure. I, I love these arguments of which number is more important. Uh, they both are because they mean different things. Sure. You know, the top number means how much work your heart has to do to pump the blood out. And the bottom number means how much work is your heart under when it tries to relax to fill up with blood so it has blood to pump up. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing. Just because you get them from the same machine doesn't mean they represent the same thing. And once right. you grasp that, you no longer ask stupid questions like, which one's more important? Uh, they're both important, but for different reasons. Sure, sure. So, Doctor, I would be really interested to see the results of what you were describing in the lab with uh, not only all of the various vaccines that they've created. I mean, majority of them are mRNA vaccines, um, but I know that there is the one that is a different technology. But I would also like to see this experiment duplicated using different batches of each of these vaccines, because I have had a number of interviews with people here on the channel uh, who, you know, have had a, a variety of different symptoms uh, as a result of getting these jabs. And you know, there's a website called How Bad Is My Batch? Uh, and it would appear right. that certain batches of certain vaccines are a lot more likely to cause these adverse effects than other ones, which is another indicator to me that perhaps there isn't a, 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 the consistency you would expect among these vaccines as they're branded. But any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, to begin with, we've, we've looked at a number of vials from around the country. Um, and have Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen, the ones that were available. So we've looked at that. There's a couple of variables. First off, one of the things that steps out immediately in my mind is that the places where the vaccines tend to have the most reports of adverse events are in places where the physicians are more inclined to say there could be a bad thing going on here. And there's other areas of the country where the control is still, these vaccines don't do that. This is not a reportable thing. So you don't get those reports. So that's one of the things going on. The other thing that's going on, and I think that, so maybe this will help explain it to people. Some people think that there's different amounts in different vaccines. The reality is this is kind of a technology that they rush through. And it so the development of the lipid nanotechnology is really a system of two different sources of the chemicals coming together. And because of the charges on the chemicals, pluses and minuses, these lipid nanoparticles assemble. And the faster you you run the tubing, because it's literally tubing going through these processing plates, the smaller the particles are. The slower you do that, the bigger the particles are. It turns out, and this is well published, uh, some of this I've got on, on Fleming Method. There's one area that I've got 444 papers for people to read. Now, that is a drop in the bucket because the USB drive that I have that I will provide my evidence to the Attorney General has over 4,900 documents. It turns out that the bigger ones not only carry more genetic sequences, 
but they also are more stable. So they get into the cell better and they make more protein, more spike protein. Okay. The smaller ones are more easily destabilized because they're tighter together. They can't, they don't have as much genetic code. And because they're closer together, they tend to break apart. A lot of people talk about, um, the, uh, the peg, you know, the phospho, uh, uh, phosph- uh, uh, what is that? Phosphatidyl, uh, <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue, but peg, um, which is a compound that basically, um, allows the lipid nanoparticle to become more stabilized mm-hmm. by sitting between the cholesterol molecule so that the charges don't repel so much so it stabilizes more the molecule. And the more uh, peg that's actually in it, the more stable it is. And obviously the bigger uh, lipid nanoparticles, yeah, polyethylene glycol, stupid me. Okay, I'm um, familiar with polyethylene glycol, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, it couldn't be that. He's he must be trying to say something else. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. mine was running ahead to another thought, and, but e- even the even the professor occasionally will do something in class. And students love it, right? I mean, it's great, <laughs> right? That's okay. Um, my kids love it too, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, um, dad, dad can't think of it for a moment. Um, uh, you know, which is a completely different phenomenon than Biden. Anyway, um, the, 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 the <laughs> makes more me feel better uh, about myself. <laughs> there you go. More polyethylene glycol or peg there is in there, the more stable it is, but it's also bigger. So I think that's part of it. Okay, because that makes the sense. Smaller ones. What we also know is that the more rapidly you change the temperature, or the more you leave it out at room temperature, the more the lipid nanoparticle breaks down the more the genetic material falls out and it then just simply becomes a prion that sits there and it doesn't get incorporated into the cell. So you won't see as much of an immunologic effect. So all of those things are going on and we have looked at the vaccines under the microscope and it's just astonishing to me how much debris is in there. I used to call it garbage. And then somebody said, well, that's not a very scientific term, doctor. Like, oh, now, now I'm getting criti- critiqued because I'm, I'm trying to use a term that you'll just get. Um, was there a confusion to the term garbage? Does that not imply something that shouldn't be in there? So, you know, it, it, it's a catch-22. It doesn't matter, you know. It, it just feels some days, obviously, like it doesn't matter how you say it. Somebody. Yeah, they'll and they'll come after that's you. That's fine. Look. So when you, say, when, you say, when you say when you say when you say when you say debris, you're talking about like I've seen like what appeared to be like self-assembling nanoparticles and like you know bits and pieces of things yeah. that maybe looked like insects. I mean, tell me exactly what you're seeing. So we we see here we see uh, other other uh, salt crystals, and it turns out that usually the salt crystals are what you're seeing that you think is nanotechnology. Okay. Because if and and we've we've got slides of that and and you know in fact on the 18th of this month I'm doing the the first uh, conference health conference where I'm actually showing the blood and vaccines and the vaccines and we've looked at that 
And, and it turns out that if you just leave it alone and you watch it under the microscope, the salt will start to dry. And as it starts to dry, what you see are salt crystals. And amazingly enough, when you look at salt crystals do that, they look like nanotechnology. They look like computer chips, right? Yeah, and we've yeah. all now seen computer chips, so we all now think that we're experts in what a computer chip is. Look, sure. they don't need to put nanotechnology in there because everybody on the planet is running around with one of these things. Right. Right? Correct. Well, now, why do you need to inject something into somebody when the people are already being kind enough to carry their tracking devices on them? Right? Sure. I mean, sure. didn't we all learn this when the, when the students went on winter on spring break? And then we the next thing we heard is, the students got together and they spread this virus and we can track them as they go back to the country. Wait a minute. I, I, th- I thought you weren't tracking. It. Yes. So which one is it? You, 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 you are, or you aren't because you just told us that they were all bad kids getting together, tracking it out. And you knew that because you tracked them on their cell phones. So clearly um, I'm sorry, you lied again. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that the federal government would ever lie to you or me, because we know that they are the most upholding, uh, upstanding, uh, honest citizens on the planet. Our agencies would never cover up evidence, even in my court trial, even though they did. Our, our, our government agencies would never, never withhold evidence on January 6th people. Um, even though we know they did, they would never do anything that wasn't in the best interest of the American people because, oh, wait a minute, sorry, never mind. These are the same people funding the research, so I probably shouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole. That's that's an episode of the Twilight Zone that you're talking about right there because the federal government clearly does whatever is best for itself and its cronies. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. It's interesting how much the mask has come off in recent years, Dr. Fleming. You know, I think that many people in the audience were at least somewhat aware of uh, the vast levels of corruption that existed in our federal government and in agencies and obviously in private industry. Uh, But over the last couple of years, it seems like it's been totally exposed. I mean, it's almost universal. Uh, there really is a network of good old boys, so to speak. Everybody looks out for each other and, uh, you know, up to and including giving bad advice, you know, advice that's going to hurt people because there's a financial incentive. Uh, and it's just mm-hmm. really too bad. I mean, it, I guess, you know, we're, we're almost out of time. We're, we're over our, our one hour that we said we were going to have. But I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, is there a solution to that other than some type of teardown and rebuilding of the various systems and, uh, uh, you know, organizations that we have right now? And then also, uh, who would you place the majority of blame on if we're talking about criminal liability in regards to this situation that we're in? Well, the answer to the question about what we do is goes right back to 10letters.org. Because the system, as corrupt as it is, every time in history when the corrupt system thought it was immune to being dealt with, it was the people, the people who brought it down, the people who, again, had to rebuild in the end, the people who said, this ran amok, 
justice has to be changed. And you know what? In many regards, it's all of us for allowing them to do it. When Benjamin Franklin was asked what type of government did they give the woman, he said a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Humanity's history is that bad people do bad things. And the only answer to that is good people holding them accountable and then doing good things. This country is not dead. The Americans who get vaxxed, who, who masked up, who did everything to not hurt somebody else demonstrates the character that you need in an American citizen for good to succeed. We just need to take that energy, that drive to do the right thing and say, wait a minute, I got vaccinated so I wouldn't hurt that person. I got masked so I wouldn't hurt that person. Now I need to go to 10letters.org, get on here, fill this out, and then tell 10 of my friends to do it. So we quit hurting these people and we quit hurting them once and for all as a solution. And then when we begin that process, just like Nazi Germany, we will have to look at our system of government, our leaders, our systems of science, our universities, our medical system, our legal system, we are going to have to make hard decisions about what we need to do to make them what we claim we want them to do. But it's on us. And we will either roll our sleeves up and get to work and do the work that our ancestors did or we will roll our sleeves up and allow these people to inject us with whatever they want to, our children, our friends, our grandchildren, our parents, our enemies. Mm-hmm. Certainly. All right. And then uh, that final question, uh, who do you hold ultimately criminally responsible for what happened in the last couple of years? I hold a lot of people accountable. The number one agency is the United States Department of Defense. And right hot on the heels is Anthony Fauci, NIAID, and NIH, and people like Gates and Helmsley and the other people who funded this research and knew what they were doing and have been doing it for decades. <clears throat> History is going to judge us as a country and as a people. It's already judging us. The rest of the world is already judging us. And we have an opportunity to take back the shiny city on the hill. And everybody wants to live in times that things were made good. But it takes a lot of a lot of, of pain and effort. I have a sweatshirt because I'm a Viking. So I'm a bloodline Viking, and it says, I'm a Fleming, and I can fix stupid, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. 
All right, uh, doctor, let me go through the, uh, the the super chats on the foxhole and see if there's anything final from the audience. Low Country Brooklyn said Oklahoma City foxhole meetup on March 18th. You can DM Adam Hugapug if you're interested. Uh, also, DPatriot1776 is having a meetup in Milford, Michigan on May 20th. DM for that one as well. Porpoiseful, thank you, says good evening. True Grit says Cookie Wars, let's go, <laughs> let's go, you're at. Cook, this is the uh, system of donations over on the Foxhole, which is a free speech platform that a couple of my friends uh, put together. Michelle Ann says fear causes anxiety and it also brings your body's resistance down. Uh, Ohio Kimmy, thank you for the cookie. Space Coast Patriot says, I feel there's something wrong in this world. I don't know how to fix it. I, I, I mean, I don't think that you're wrong. I mean, there there is a lot that's wrong in this world. And uh, that's, you know, part of their design. I mean, as Dr. Fleming said earlier, and I've said it many times recently, they want to over inundate you with information and with, uh, you know, sensory input so that all you know is that something is wrong, but you don't necessarily know where it's coming from. But it's almost ubiquitous. It's all around you. And so really, uh, I think that the best thing that we can do to address it immediately is got to start in your homes, make sure that you're in order, make sure that you're healthy, make sure that uh, you are surrounding yourself with people who are um, going to help you also to fix this planet and to fix America. White Knight 126 says 100, no better time than now to put on the full armor of God. God bless. Thank you for that. Space Coast also said, I love God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The evil is rampant on this planet. Uh, Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie and another one. And then WC Crane Up dropped a cookie as well. So, Dr. Fleming, if you guys would like to uh, uh, get the book, if you'd like to find more information and uh, get in contact, of course, the websites are 10letters.org and then also FlemingMethod.com. Dr. Fleming, any final thoughts you have for the audience? What would you really like the people listening tonight to take away from our conversation? I want the people to take away the fact that where fear may have got a lot of people into where they are right now, the greatest thing that we have right now is knowledge and a method for addressing the criminals that have done this wrong. The best way to address fear is to take with knowledge and action because fear makes you unable to respond and then you become more overwhelmed. It is amazing how taking a positive action, knowing to focus on that action and not let yourself get distracted allows your brain, your body, your spirit to refocus and to not be afraid because you know what the problem is and you know what you have to do to fix the problem. And that eliminates the fear and eventually eliminates the problem because once you focus that attention on the problem, get the criminal indictment, that problem is now their problem. They are now the ones with the problem because they've been caught with their hand in your cookie jar, as you were talking about with all your cookies. Except now they actually did the crime. And you will be able to step back and breathe a sigh of relief as you watch these people placed where they belong and their plans to do further harm stop. You will have an opportunity to truly make an impact on the people that cause the fear in your life. Take back your life. Roll up your sleeves make them regret what they did don't allow them to make you further regret and live in fear 
All right. Amen. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. I know that as soon as the show is over, I'm going to go do this myself. We've got 182,000 people that subscribe to the Rumble channel alone. Imagine if 180,000 people went through with this action, sent these letters out. Uh, I think this really, truly could have a fairly profound impact in a short amount of time. If the people that have the ability to address these issues are aware that the people of this nation want them to take the action, well, then they really don't have any other choice because they want to get elected again. So uh, I urge That's you exactly every single right. Yeah, I urge each and every one of you to please go through and uh, and, and head on over to 10letters.org and uh, get those sent out. So, Dr. Fleming, thank you very much for being here. You are always welcome back. And uh, if there's ever anything else that you want to discuss, you just let me know, and I'm happy to have you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass out these gold pills over on the foxhole. And I wanted to say thank you to everybody here in the audience for being with us. I'll be back tomorrow night at 9 p.m. with Project Veritas FBI whistleblower Aaron Stevenson. So I hope that you can join me then. Until next time, good luck and God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.